Welcome to TGI, Tourism Geography Insights, the podcast of Tourism Geography's journal where we discuss our latest research and developments of our peer-reviewed journal which explores tourism and tourism-related areas of recreation and leisure studies from a geographic perspective. listeners of the Tourism Geographies podcast. My name is Marge Roulosse. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the Open University of Catalonia in Spain and your podcast uh, co-host today. And with me here is Manuela Goodberlet, who is a research associate at the Bavarian Center for Tourism Research. Welcome to the podcast, Manuela. Thank you, Marge. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to hearing more about your research and, and, and particularly one of your most recent papers published in, in Tourism Geography. So I've been following you around on LinkedIn and, and other places, and I'm, I'm really curious about, about your work. And um, before we actually delve into the paper, I thought it would be nice uh, to hear a little bit more about your history. How did you come to research tourism and, and what are your interests in particular? Well, um, well I, I started my research in Oman around, uh, well, 12 years ago. At that time, well, I was a PhD student <laughs> and um, I was already living in Oman for quite some time. I was working as a tour guide and then I worked as a journalist for a local newspaper, Arabic and English newspaper. And I I realized that there were a lot of changes in Oman with the increase in tourism. At that time, there were around 2 million um, arrivals of international tourists in Oman, and especially in Muscat. So, um, and I was guiding, and sometimes I was guiding as well cruise tourists that arrived increasingly with these large cruise liners carrying around 2,000 people on board. And um, maybe uh, maybe you have been to Muscat, but especially in Muscat, when you arrive with a cruise liner, the port is quite narrow, and the whole bay of Muscat is yeah small and um, small houses. It's a bit like a Greek city. Yeah, there are many tourists, and the community is quite small. So I felt so. What what are the impacts of tourism in this um, narrow bay and? Uh, so I've initially I focused my research on Matrach, which is just opposite to the cruise liner port, the district, and within residential area and the souk. And then I um, I also included um, yeah another another location which is in the interior around two hours from Muscat, um, the Shakia Sands Desert, a sandy desert in yeah in the interior. And so these two places, two in a way oriental places, were part of my research that I conducted yeah, for a PhD. And then I continued with my research as well during the con- uh, corona pandemic, where we had yeah, under tourism in, in Oman and yeah, around the world. So I felt I, would, I just wanted to, to look into yeah, the impacts of cruise tourism and... Um, on the other hand, well, I yeah, well, I can say that my my research was influenced by my lived experiences in the in the region, especially in Oman, and it's also experience based. So I was, I mean, when I did interviews, it was very helpful uh, that 
sometimes people knew me already, tour guides, tour operators, um, shipping companies, and um, yeah, and muscat business owners, and in the desert as well, um, desert camp owner, and re- from the re- residential community as well, and business people. So it was very helpful, but on the other hand, it sometimes created as well some challenges. That's fascinating. And I'd like to hear more about that. And, and thanks for sharing that with us, um, Manuela. I've I've not been to the Arabian Peninsula myself, other than for a stopover. And I'm, I'm really keen to hear more about that context. Um, I can understand how your experience as a tour guide, but also um, as a journalist has, has enriched the paper as I was reading it uh, and that we're, we're about to discuss. So the, the paper is entitled uh, Geopolitical Imaginaries and Cultural Ecosystem Services in the Desert. I wanted to start by asking you what exactly did you have in mind with this study? What were the, the questions that, that led you through this study? Well, initially, as I, as I said, well, it was the impact to study the impact of cruise tourism of a large number of tourists arriving in, in one place. And Oman and as well the Arabian Peninsula, maybe, yeah, except Dubai. So many people know Dubai, but uh, as you said, I mean, not many know Oman and um, as well Muscat. So I felt it was a very kind of virgin destination or very new destination and um, a lot of things happening and a lot of um, tourism development started uh, from around 2000 onwards. And the the first leisure tourists only arrived in Oman and uh, in the 70s and 80s. So it's a very new destination. And um, I felt, well, when I, and when I was guiding, I met tourists who had seen the whole world, um, except Oman and, and uh, Antarctica. So it was, was really, um, they were quite, yeah, quite very curious tourists and kind of explorer tourists who wanted to see, um, yeah, a new destination. And that changed, I felt, with the with the with the arrival of these large cruise liners. So, the questions that led as well to my study were: What are the experiences of the tourists when they arrive in Oman, and what are their yeah imaginaries? And on the other hand, I I analyzed as well the experiences and the perception of the local community the residential community and in the desert as well, the people who work in camps or in the oasis, um, the residents and people who work in a, in a small heritage museum. And so, and I wanted to create a kind of um, holistic analysis. So I interviewed many different stakeholders and I conducted as well surveys with the tourists, so questionnaire surveys. Thank you. The desert as a space, and a concept plays an important role in your study. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the different meanings and, uh, as you said, the geopolitical imaginaries that that have characterized the desert that you describe in depth in your paper? So geopolitical imaginaries of a place and um, as well of the community are formed by often, yeah, romanticized dominant narratives and representations that are often, yeah, projections from the West. So 
that yeah, creating nostalgia, according to Edward Said, who wrote that the Orient has been encountered through the history, the fable, for example, um, I mean, Arabian Nights or yeah, the stereotype like veiled women. I mean, what do you think when you think of the Arabian Peninsula? What do you think about images that come to your mind? Well, definitely you describe many um, stereotypes that people, tourists, and, and also tour organizations describe of, of the desert. But I, yeah, I was very intrigued by your description. You're, you're, you, you dedicate really a section on how the desert has been conceptualized and, and, and perceived uh, in the literature. And, and that really, uh, that really struck me. And then how you connect that to ecosystem services was an interesting twist. And actually, as someone who knows very little about that idea of ecosystem services, uh, could you describe them? What are cultural ecosystem services within the context of the desert? Ecosystem services in general refer to all the yeah, services and goods which are indispensable, which are necessary for human well-being. So ecosystem services are the direct and indirect contributions of the ecosystem to human well-being. They have an impact on our survival and the quality of life. And uh, we can differentiate four different types of ecosystem services, provisioning services, regulating, supporting, and the cultural services. So ecosystem services, the term is relatively new and was only um, yeah, used for the first time in 1997. Uh, by Constanza et al. In an, in an article and was estimated that ecosystem services provide us on average around 33 trillion US dollar per year compared to the global GNP. It's, um, it's a huge amount. At that time, the, the GNP was only 18 trillion per year. So which shows that these ecosystem services are very valuable. However, on the other hand, there's a, there's little understanding of the true worth of the of ecosystem services, and it's a bit worrying as well that um, on the other, I mean that there's a big degradation or that we degrade ecosystem services. However, their value is very high. Um, and well, in my research, I tried to analyze in a way the intangible value of cultural ecosystem services, uh, the non-material benefits that people can obtain from uh, these services, which include, for example, education, spiritual enrichment, well, meditation, intellectual development, and aesthetic values, and as well, recreation. Well, when we travel to the desert, we want to, we are looking for some leisure time or yeah, I want to spend some time with friends or um, and enjoy the, the views or whatever. So I wanted to see how the visitors experience the place. Right, right. And and to to actually answer your questions, I found your methodology really impressive. Um, you've approached your topic in a variety of ways. Um, and as you mentioned, also, also from your own experience as a tour guide, your paper includes some visual material. Can you tell us briefly, um, why did you decide to focus on German tourists? And well, uh, cruise tourism became important. 
Uh, but but why German tourists? And how did that variety of methods help you answer your questions? Well, cruise tourism, well, as you as you may know, or as we all know, it's really an increasing or has increased dramatically until, especially until the Corona pandemic. Um, nearly 30 million cruise tourists traveled worldwide in 2019. And when I conducted my research or when I started my research in 2012, there were around uh, 21 million tourists traveling with a cruise liner. And in Oman, around 200, um, yeah, 260,000 passengers arrived uh, when I started with my research in 2012. So, and this was a peak uh, of tourist arrivals with a cruise liner in Oman. And so I wanted to see especially how German-speaking cruise tourists experience the place. I focused on German-speaking, well, because I'm German. And <laughs> and most, so it's easier in a way as well, and um, facilitated the yeah the understanding. But on the other hand, German tourists are one of the largest group of tourists arriving in Oman. They are very curious, and um, Germans seem to uh, like to explore different places, and they're usually, they're very often one of the first groups who arrive in a place. And um, there are cruise liners who carry mainly German-speaking tourists on board. So I thought, yeah, I, I just focus on on German speaking, which means not only Germans but as well Austrians, Swiss, and there were a few as well from Luxembourg, for example, on board the cruise liner, and I think as well a few from Turkey. But the majority were were Germans. So. And um, and, and what methods exactly did you employ in your research? Well, I used, yeah, different methods, quantitative methods, a uh, large um, survey that I conducted uh, among the cruise tourists while being on a tour with them as well. And then I did qualitative methods. Initially, I started with a survey that I distributed during the tour, well, towards the end of the tour when they returned from the desert. So I, I distributed the survey along with the tour guide, with the Omani tour guide, and I, along and with a pen, so and asked them if they could um, fill out the survey. And when we arrived at the ship, I asked them to return the survey. And I had a very large response rate from, uh, of uh, 61%, so a total of 235 tourists responded. And uh, 99% were Germans, and most of them traveled with a partner, around 78%, and 19% um, with a small group, usually family um, or friends of uh, three to five people. And uh, around 74% were above the age of 40, which is as well in line with other research, usually cruise tourists. Well, at that time, um, were rather yeah middle-aged tourists. Um, Wonderful, and and you also use photos in your research. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, I I used different variety as well: yeah. participatory observation, travel ethnography, and photography. So while traveling with the tourists, I um, I interviewed them um, on the well, usually while on tour, I often interviewed um, the tour guide or they had an onboard tour guide as well and the driver 
Um, and when we were in the tourist camp in the desert or while standing even in the desert, I interviewed or observed the, the, the tourists and, um, which was, yeah, I love to do research. <laughs> well, I love especially qualitative, um, research and I love to speak with the, with the tourists and, and uh, ask them, uh, how they, how they experience the place and how they, yeah, feel in the desert. Your uh, variety of methods definitely led to a very uh, comprehensive paper. I loved reading it. I loved seeing it. Actually, yes, the, the photos were definitely a big plus. What would you say are the key findings uh, of your paper, of your study? Yeah, I just wanted to add as well that I also interviewed, um, or I, I, I traveled along uh, with 22, well, crews and group tourists. So in addition to the cruise tours, I also interviewed group tours and I traveled with them uh, similar to the group, uh, to the cruise tours. Although, I mean, the cruise tours, they just stay for one day and group tours, they usually travel for one week around the north of the Arabia of uh, Oman and north of the Arabian Peninsula. And I want, I also wanted to see how they engage with the, within the, the place and how they experience the place. So I traveled with them and in total, I interviewed, yeah, people who were, well, between 25 and 82 years of age. And, um, so I stayed with the group tourists as well overnight in, in the camp to see how, uh, what they are doing, their activities and how they experience the place within a longer time period in a way. So this helped as well to understand the different perspectives. And then I interviewed people in the in the camp, in the Heritage Museum, in the Oasis. That's a place where the the cruise tourists usually stop before driving to the to the desert. And in Muscat, by the way, I also interviewed an UNESCO advisor and who's based in Bahrain. And um experts from the ministries, Ministry of Environment, and the former Minister of Tourism as well, who I had the pleasure to interview um, even several times, and I presented to him as well my research. All my interviews were conducted, well, in German, of course, with the tourists, but then as well in English and in Arabic, with the, sometimes with the local community. Well, the key findings of my, of my paper were the tourists are searching for oriental imaginaries and um, enjoyment and as well kind of a spirituality in the desert which leads very often to a self-transformation so this self-transformation is even enhanced through yeah time so time space compression is a very um, big issue and um, some experiences of the tourists such as contemplating the sunset which was only possible for for the um, group tourists can be compared as well with the, with the pilgrimage with the experience of a pilgrim and these experiences form as well the core experience with an uh, yeah, existential authenticity and uh, yeah self-transformation and identity creation so the desert is imagined, performed, and as well, yeah, gazed at in C2 by the, by the tourists and as well by other actors involved, like tour guides or the, the, the drivers. And 
on the other hand, it's as well, it becomes like an open playground that seems to be a mysterious and imaginary environment. One of the, for example, one of the tourists, one of the cruise tourists said, I need an adrenaline shock when he was standing in the in the desert and um, it was like uh, yeah an open playground and like uh, in a way transformed like uh, into a like into a fantasy scape and uh, a playground similar to uh, to uh, yeah a shock event that created uh, there was a yeah search for authenticity and uh, a sense on the other hand as well a sense of belonging within the place for especially for the cruise tourists the the desert turns into a liminoid space where the drivers become as well actors and well they are the the yeah the screen players as well of the of the 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 whole environment and they try to impress the yeah the tourists by their driving with their driving skills and the tourists enjoy just driving through the dunes and um enjoying the yeah the landscape and the sensation of um getting an adrenaline shock in a way driving up and down the dunes which is a bit similar through um to driving through the snow <laughs> that's what i experienced now back in in europe so um, it's a multi-sensory immersion and uh, yeah, concentration on being in the world and transforming the two tourists into a new self. And I realized this as well when they were contemplating the the yeah the sunset was like being absorbed in the moment and forming a kind of unity with with nature. This is very typical for cultural ecosystem services. The spiritual service of the environment which um, you cannot get in, in an urban environment so it's um, this is, has a yeah very high value for human beings thanks so much Manuela that was that was interesting and I recall in your paper that there were some practices that the tourists engaged in and also maybe the tour guides that could be considered um, slightly problematic. Um, one of them being collecting sand from the desert, taking that with them, or yeah, you describe this cruising around the desert and riding up in cars against the sand dunes and some genuine concern uh, for, yeah, for damaging actually the environment. And, uh, and I wonder how this plays into ecosystem services and, and also over tourism. In fact, You've been writing a new book on over-tourism and cruise tourism in, in the context of the Arabian Peninsula, uh, a book that will be published soon by Rutledge. I was wondering, how does over-tourism uh, play out in the desert context? How did your study actually lead up to this? Well, yeah, that's a good question. And um, over-tourism can be conceptualized as well as yeah, overcrowding and too many people in one place. Well, one can say, yeah, the, the desert is empty, so there's enough space. But on the other hand, well, it's a very fragile environment with still yeah, animals and um, as well uh, yeah, a certain geography and plants even. 
and which are also en endangered. I realized that there were there was increasingly as well garbage in the desert and um, thrown blown away by the wind. And there are still camels who are who are grazing there. And sometimes, um, I mean, the camels they eat plastic or they eat the garbage and they die or um, goats as well. So one of the Bedouins or well Bedouin turned. Um, <laughs> turned a businessman um, who owns a small desert camp. He told me that that uh, he, especially his father, who, in, who started with slowly with tourism and who still lived in the in the desert, is as well a bit shocked about the development, the infrastructure in the desert, where they are now with now electricity and um, yeah, tourism infrastructure. Even even a small road was was um, created leading to different desert camps in Shakia sands while I was doing the research. And um, as well, yeah, there's water in the desert and some camps even have a swimming pool. So this, this is all a bit, yeah, contradictory. Yeah, noise pollution is another aspect which um, creates disturbance to the natural environment. I believe that quality, so thus deeper and more valuable experiences and more meaningful and beneficial exchange with the local community could, could be enhanced through slow travel rather than fast travel. I mean, cruise tourism, I feel, is um, yeah, fast tourism and... Um, where people just get a glimpse of the place and wonderful thanks for for getting into that i definitely as a scholar who's been researching over tourism within the urban context i think this this topic of yours is something a really um relatively new and and i i really would like to um recommend people to to uh start looking into your book once it's out it's uh, it's going to be published in june right yes in june yeah, I think it's it's really important to preserve these cultural ecosystem services and other ecosystem services of the desert. And um, therefore, I believe it, it's important to control and monitor and sanction, even in the desert, um, disturbing and destructive activities and um, create only a special place or a certain place where people can drive up and down the dunes and speed there. And um, I also want to highlight that not only cruise tourists are driving through the desert, as well local people and um, yeah, residents in Oman and um, from the Arabian Peninsula are also driving through the dunes. So it's not just um, one type of tourists. Uh, that's my observation. I mean, uh, crowding in the desert has increased in, in recent years dramatically, and I believe there, there need to be some restrictions. And maybe as well an ethical code, so a code of ethics or code of conduct. Yeah, similar to what has been implemented in other places like in, Ice, in Iceland, the Iceland pledge that calls for an ethical tourist behavior and a more conscious travel. Wonderful, thanks. Yeah, I think you're you're completely um, on the on the point there. This this issue of over tourism is a very complex issue and. Uh, definitely not uh, merely to be attributed to tourists. And uh, I really appreciate also how you've uh, set out a few paths ahead for, let's say, more sustainable forms of tourism uh, in the desert. 
Manuela, I'm, I think unfortunately our time is up. Uh, this talk has been incredibly insightful. And before concluding this podcast, I would like to point our listeners one last time towards your study, which was published last year in Tourism Geographies. Please go online, visit the Tourism Geographies website. Uh, again, thank you so much, Manuela, for being here with us today. It was really a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Martin. Just uh, something I would like, I, I thought to add, yeah, it should be overall about more about, yeah, tourist quality experiences instead of quantity and a more conscious way of traveling and being in the world within a global awareness and, yeah, as well, compassion for our planet and for other pe people and other cultures. Many okay. thanks for that, Manuela. That's a really inspiring message to close off with. And also thank you for being um, my first um, Tourism Geographies podcast guest. It's been a pleasure to do this together with you. I really appreciate it. So thank you all and listeners have a nice day.